From Heart to Heart is a podcast all about heart failure. Welcome. I'm your host, Hilary Steffen, and it's my honor to be able to share this community with you. I myself am a heart failure survivor, and although I never would have chosen to become a part of this community, I'm so grateful to say that I am. On this podcast, you will hear from other heart failure survivors, as well as professionals within the cardiology world. You will hear from a range of people who have all been affected by heart failure in one way or another. No matter where you are in your heart health journey or why you are tuning in, I hope that you feel inspired by what you learn, and please know I'm so grateful that you're here. Welcome back for episode three. Today I get to share a sweet conversation with my friend Bobby and his wife Carly, who live in Arkansas. I first met Bobby and Carly over the phone in the spring of 2022, just a few months after we both recovered from acute viral myocarditis. As you'll hear in our conversation, our stories parallel in many, many ways. In our first phone conversation, we immediately bonded over our shared faith in God and being married with three young children. But the bond became even more special when we each shared our stories and realized there was someone else in the world who understood exactly what we had gone through. In this episode, we talk about family, Bobby's initial symptoms, ambulance rides, hospitalizations, isolation, scars, and even the hot button topic of COVID vaccines. I'm so excited you're here, and I'm so excited to get to share this first patient story with you. Well, thank you guys, Bobby and Carly. Thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to listen to your story more in depth. I know that we got to meet just over the phone through Abiomed about maybe a month or a couple months after you got out of the hospital, which really was only a month after I got out of the hospital or a couple months. Um, I just wanted to save this podcast recording to be one of my first ones after my story, just because of that special bond that you guys were the first ones that I met that had ever gone through what I went through. I remember talking to you guys on the phone that first time and thinking, whoa, Bobby has scars in the same place that I have scars. And just like how mind blowing that was to think about. So thank you guys for being here and um, sharing your story with us. Before we dive in, can you just share a little bit of the background, who you are, where you guys live? Um, tell us a little bit, bit about your family. Yeah, sure. So my name is Bobby Goins, and now I am about to be 33 here in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, at the time of my event, I was 31, thir- uh, turning, actually turned 32 while I was in the hospital. Uh, so celebrated my birthday while I was in the hospital. But, um, uh, you know, wife Carly, uh, three kids, uh, girl, boy, boy, so it's Lexi, Jackson, and Benny. Um, I'm a technology sales rep. I've been in, in that world for almost a decade now. It's crazy looking back. Um, we live in Conway, Arkansas. Uh, one blessing with my career is I get to work from home. So I'm always around Carly and awesome. around the kids. Um, yeah, so that's something cool. Uh, Carly homeschools. I support and help where I can um whenever I can she's got the early childhood education degree so it's uh it's MO. that's what she wanted to do and uh, she does an amazing job with our kids um so yeah that's kind of our family and kind of a little bit about my background career-wise personally you know I was always an athletic person that stayed active I play a lot of softball um you know keeping up with the kids and their sports and coaching with them and and everything like that. Uh, I like doing home projects. In fact, just hours before recording this, we were doing uh, a house project that we had started just weeks before my incident happened. So, um, so we've kind of let that uh, sit a little bit and we're like, we are finally going to tackle this, Um, you know, a little bit of a mind game, PTSD, a little bit around that. I'd actually thought that the dust from the sanding is what was causing my sh- uh, shortness of breath, uh, you know, and like the allergens and stuff like that whenever I had COVID. So we're picking that project back up, but I love keeping my hands and feet busy and staying active um, with my wife and, and kids. That's awesome. So you were pretty, you were pretty healthy beforehand. Sounds like young, obviously. Yeah. Were you on any sort of medications or anything like that? 
No. And in fact, I, no medications. In fact, like I barely had a PCP in a sense. Um, uh, you know, I, I can count on both hands the number of times like I've been sick enough where I need to go to the doctor and do blood work, get medication, things like that over the course of my entire life. So okay, really always have been healthy and, uh, you know, hindsight 2020 with looking back onto this, like we know how to approach yeah. uh, instances where we get sick, even if it's just sniffles or allergies, like just make sure that it's not something that's going to fester and is way worse. Whole new, whole new perspective. Yeah. So so take us back then to January 2022. Tell me about like who got sick first in your family? What was it? And what were your symptoms like? Yeah. Um, well, actually, like we know the day of when we were all exposed to COVID. It's uh, New Year's Eve night. Um, my first and I was the only one that in my family of five that showed symptoms of COVID. Um, January 3rd, I was laying on the couch right over there uh, after work um, and I had a headache and it was my first day back, you know, through the holiday season, you don't work very much yep. um, in technology. So you're just, you just kind of chalk the headache up to like, well, it's my first long day back of staring at a screen and uh, no big deal, but it, it just kind of kept, it stayed. Right. And then that night uh, I was actually, uh, I woke up out of my sleep with the COVID shortness of breath that I had never experienced. Like, whoa, I like, I can't breathe right. Uh, so then like I would sit up, I started pacing the hallway, like, and I, this is weird. I, I can't breathe as I normally can. Yeah. Some shortness of breath there. Yeah. Um, so that was like my first symptoms. Uh, and then the next three or four days, or I guess it was three days. So Monday was the, uh, the third, fourth and fifth. It was your typical COVID cold. symptoms. Yeah. Like cold, head cold, that kind of stuff. Nothing alarming, nothing that I had never dealt with before, uh, you know, outside of the shortness of breath, which, uh, was seemed like it was only bad at night when I was laying down in bed. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what I dealt with. Nothing really severe. Um, just the headaches. I constantly kept chasing the headaches away with Tylenol or ibuprofen. Um, I, I was kind of in, at, at some point I was kind of in denial of what I had. Right. I thought that maybe it was just the yeah, allergies from working around the house on that project. Um, yeah. And the dust and yeah. yeah see what you're saying. So, you know, then Wednesday comes around. It's like, okay, this hasn't gotten better. Uh, we we need to go ahead and take a test. Just write it off that it's not COVID. Knowing that maybe it could be COVID. Like we had kind of convinced ourselves that, hey, maybe it is. So we got a test, took the test like immediately. As soon as I put the uh, stick in the uh, little tray, yeah. like immediately, two red dots. Yeah. yeah, absolutely positive. So then I start quarantining. Because none of in, us in the office. were positive. I was yeah. not positive. I was negative. Okay. And we hadn't got a chance to test the kids yet. We were, we got put on a schedule, which they got tested after he was in the hospital. We didn't find out that Lexi was positive until way later. Yeah. After we no symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Were I was negative. the only one sick. Yeah. We the only one. My mom, his mom, no one got it, but yeah. that, that we know of that other than him. Okay. So it's been a few days. You're mostly experiencing shortness of breath at night only, like when you're laying down. So yeah. then what progresses during the day for you to end up going to the hospital? So then, so Wednesday's the day that I did the test and found out that, and, and that whole day, it was just another day of dealing with COVID. But now Thursday, things changed. Okay. Uh, and not in a drastic way, but I started developing a chest pain. And I thought at the time, because it wasn't severe, but it was there. I thought it was just another symptom of COVID that we would have to deal with, chase off and fight back on. Right. So that was Thursday, woke up Friday with the same, and it was maybe getting a little bit worse throughout the day, Friday, uh, Friday being the end of my work week. I finally decided like, man, we, we've just got to get in front of a, a doctor that can prescribe us some medicine for dealing with COVID. Um, you know, 
looking back on that, that's definitely something we should have done earlier in the week, uh, for sure. Um, and it, it's really unfortunate, you know, not having a good connection with a PCP because I hadn't needed it my entire life. Yeah. Um, but that connection wasn't there. So trying to get into a PCP was impossible during that time because it was right. I always say it like I got COVID when COVID was cool. Like everybody was getting it coming out of the holidays. Um, but a much milder case than it was, case. you know, it wasn't, it was the Omicron. It wasn't like Delta, you know, it, it, it was taking lives, but it wasn't as severe. The symptoms, the, how to deal with it, how to recover weren't as bad. So, um, that night we did a teledoc appointment. Um, and you know, the doctor was like, well, chest pain is a symptom of COVID. Of course. Um, right. And yeah. you know, here's some medication to take. Let's start taking it tonight. And, uh, you'll be on the mend after getting on the medication. So, uh, that Friday night, uh, is when things like complete 180 steep downhill turn. Um, it got, the chest pain was so debilitating, um, just sitting in a chair or on a couch that it was just so uncomfortable at that point. And. I remember thinking like, you know, I've been quarantined, uh, the last three days or so. Like I I've got to get to my wife and get her guidance, advice, help support through this. Cause me doing it alone in a room is, it's just, it's not working. Yeah. Um, so I went into our master bedroom and, uh, hung out with her for a short period of time, what, under an hour of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I, I was, uh, kind of sprawled out on our floor in the master, not wanting to get in the bed to be close to her and potentially spread COVID to her. Cause we didn't know all these things like we do now. Yeah. Um, but while I was laying there, uh, I, I had this like bout or, or, uh, um, symptom i guess or like episode episodes word of like my hands my feet legs like from knees down just went numb started tingling yes um got like dizzy-ish and, and um it was already dark but i could feel that it got darker you know the lights kind of dimmed uh, but that only lasted for a short period of time within a minute um did you feel that tingling down your arms and hands at yeah, all yeah we're okay. yep. probably like elbow down yep. knee down. Uh, yeah you know that yeah so that evening carly went and got my medicine and he the doctor had prescribed an inhaler so i'm like i'm going to take one puff of the inhaler hopefully it'll open up my lungs so i can breathe a little bit better i did that that might have like i think it sped up his heart a little um like yeah you know, nothing clinical, but that might have kind of progressed my situation a little bit. Um, totally. Put it sure. in overdrive. So, yeah. It wasn't a very long episode, though. Like, it, yeah, it was in the process, like, at that point down there with you. It was, yeah. it was short, but it was still, like, like she. Noticeable. it was to a point of, like, hey, she's about to call the ambulance, but I then it, like, it stopped. Yeah. Um, like, yes. I'm good. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, you know, I'm, it's not like I'm good, but, like, I'm not in that state anymore. Yeah. Uh, but then I, you know, I, I hadn't eaten probably, I only ate breakfast that day, probably didn't eat lunch. I can't remember, but I had an empty stomach, but my, my body was like saying, I was started dry heaving, but I couldn't bring anything up because my stomach was empty. Um, and then it just kind of calmed down, dissipated. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. You you go get some rest on the bed. I'm going to make a pallet and just sleep on the floor. Um, and and I did that. Uh, but I would wake up every wow. five to fifteen minutes, and I was tossing and turning. And it wasn't like a um, like man, I just can't sleep. Like my body was waking me up. Wow. Um, would the numbness, tingling come back at all? It, it never did come back. And thankfully, I, I think, right. Yeah. It, it never did. Um, but it got to the point around 4am or so, uh, 
you know, that episode probably happened somewhere it was between around one. 12 midnight and 1 a.m. But by four o'clock ish, um, He got in bed. I had, yeah, I had gotten in bed, like, hey, He went like, back to bed too. that's the next step. Like, I, I don't even care anymore. I just, I just, I have to find comfortable. And, I'm, you know, Yeah. floor is obviously not very comfortable. So, I'm lying Definitely backwards. not. Yeah, I put It's always my been head for you. at the foot. She's at the door. <laughs> oh my Like, word. stay away. You're so sweet. And I'm just going to try here, try to get comfortable, get some rest, and get this off. Yeah. Not Yeah, breathe on yeah. you. Um, and eventually we got up within the hour or so. And, and, Yeah, I text my mom because she had had COVID before. Like, hey, what what did you deal with? Did you have any of these other symptoms that I'm currently dealing with? She's like, no. Uh, mine was just like a head cold. She lost her taste, but then Uh, she she did lose her taste. I She hate dealt that. with one of the previous versions. Uh, so that right then, like, I had kind of made the decision. I've got to get in in front of a doctor, and we have to do it by way of the emergency room because you can't get into Uh, PCP. Um, so we did just that, you know, Carly's here with three kids. Um, my mind was like, let's just get an ambulance here to get me in front of them. You know, cause I, I had it in my mind, like, I just wanted to get, as soon as I arrived, I wanted to get seen. I didn't want to sit in the waiting room because she brought me and just dropped me out something and, you know, then not think much of it. So, um, you know, load up in the ambulance and everything once I uh So the kids are all home. with Carly They were all asleep. They were all asleep. And as he, yeah as it's he around loads, five in the morning yeah, as he loads, I have my middle wake up and walk out and was like, oh, the lights. How yeah funny. And I'm just yeah sitting there trying to be like, yeah. And they're like, where's yeah dad? I'm like, yeah. I just kind of avoided the question oh man the whole day. okay remind me how old they all So were at the time it would have been it would have been last year two it's two years ago so lexi would have been Just turned nine, right? two years ago she's 10 Okay. she would have been she Sorry. just turned eight Just turned eight. jackson would have been four and benny was really young like two Two. yeah because he wasn't even talking yet Right. because there was a step at the hospital that like was my opening about his speech Okay. Okay. So then you go in the ambulance by yourself. How far is the hospital from your house? not even five minutes It's right it's down the road, right down two the blocks road down the road, thankfully. It felt like 30 minute ride, the first you hospital know, anxiety that that's set in and I started having, uh, they I started hypervent hyperventilating and I had a panic attack in there just from never being in an ambulance. They asked me some questions um, that were ask anyone that's kind been of in inappropriate a car given my situation. They have to ask them, but like, well, if we give you this, it will kill you. Like, I don't want to hear that right now, right? They wanted to give him they wanted No. to give him stuff and they wanted Uh, to make they wanted make to him give do me things. nitroglycerin. They wanted to make sure that I hadn't taken some things that would counter it. Yeah, contra. Yeah, So, um, contra. you know, trying to sing, uh, trying to say They ABCs told you to say say the and ABCs. get there. Once we finally get there, uh, I like crawl my way out of the ambulance. I don't know why they didn't leave me on the bed. They They, had him walk to the ambulance too. well, yeah, because when I was here, I was able to walk. I put myself on the bed and everything. But once I got there, because of the anxiety attack, things progressed, Yeah. and I was barely able to walk. I, like, like fell. I didn't fall, but, like, I, like, just kind of, like, poured myself onto the concrete out of the ambulance, went inside and poured myself into a chair and just, like, laid back and just, like, please call my name. Please call my name. Within five minutes, they called my name, and I went back there. Uh, and the, Wait, they took you like to a waiting uh, yeah, room? yeah, I didn't I just, think it's that I just sat really? in the chair I didn't in the think waiting that. room. Yeah. The, the ambulance didn't bring, they brought me to the awning, but they didn't I like didn't bring know that. me back to They the emergency were a room. little, That is so bizarre. Yeah. Cause typically. they were a little different when they picked him up because they kind of had, what, like, are you sure you want to do this? To be honest, <laughs> oh I boy. feel, and we all feel Yeah. looking back that they thought that I was coming off of some type of Drugs. drug Yeah. high Yeah. Okay. um, because And how, I was yeah. able to talk and I was clearly in fear, like maybe that, you know, somebody that overdosed or something. I don't know. But yeah, 
they call me out of that chair to go back actually to the ER, like intake. She's like, wow, you're white as a ghost. What's wrong? I told her the situation. I got COVID. I know that something else is going wrong. And I, like the snap of a finger, they got me back on a bed and got me connected with an EKG and started doing a bunch of tests and trying to figure out what was wrong. But again, like I'm laying in the bed and like I'm doing okay. Mm -hmm. like, I'm having conversations with them. I'm trying to be an amazing patient, which was what was always on my mind through the this whole, whole, process. whole process. Like I just want to be a good patient so I can get good care and, and oh. get, get taken care of well so that, yeah, I can recover and get home. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like to that point, my story. Okay. Yeah. So you go in the ambulance, they essentially think nothing's really wrong with you and you're faking it. Yeah. And then you get to the ED, they call you back and they're like, this is well, serious. They they find something on the EKG. Yeah, like yeah. One level that bothered them, so they admitted them. Yeah. So, so as part of the EKG, they also did a CT scan, um, which looking back probably showed that my heart was a little enlarged, right? myocarditis. But but they don't know what my base heart looks like. They don't know. Right. Um. But they know something's up. So eventually, yeah, they admit me. Uh, they moved me up to another room in the hospital. And then within 30 minutes, probably they do an ultrasound. And that was the telling okay, yeah, the, echo. Yeah, the echo. That was the telling test yeah. that that showed that your heart is not in a good state. It's not pushing blood to your organs. And you know, you're okay right now, as you can tell, but uh you won't be well very long. Well, it's kind of the they didn't that's straight what up said, said that, no, but they said like you're good now, but we're not sure how your night will go. So we need to get you in another hospital. They told us they're preparing for a yeah. cardiac event that night. Yeah. So that's what they told us over well, there. They told me to go ahead and come up there. So like at this point we quarantined and they said, okay, no, you it's time for you to come up here. I'll give them your name at the at the door. But it took a while because we had to have parents who come down to sit with the kids and like do all that stuff. Um and set all that up. Yeah. They they were clear on that whenever they're getting the bed at the new hospital so they were gonna allow you to be with him they did allow me him. at this hospital I got to be so I had like exposed myself got up there and then they like I, I was there maybe an hour and he was definitely gray very like calm for that like like, like mm. I don't know it was very different than his normal personality and very different color like what they described it definitely was able to be seen on us and um, his mom was trying so hard to get up here at that point, but she, I mean, they live 45 minutes away and they're coming. Well, as soon as I got there within like 30 minutes, they were there to transport him. And his mom was like, I'm almost there, please wait. And they were basically saying, you know, in our view, we didn't know what was going on. And she's like, I'm like 10 minutes down the road. And they're like, no, we really need to get going. He still got up and got on that gurney. So she was like, just please wait for me. Let me, let me at least see him off. And and I'm like, I can't do anything. They're, they're loading it up. Yeah, but that's when they told us that I couldn't go into the next hospital. Was was after I was already there and okay. already exposed, and then I was like, well, "What do I do now? Do I go back to my kids? Do I go back to my mom who's getting down?" It was very confusing at that point. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then they transport you to this next hospital, which is how far away? Yeah, about a thirty-minute drive south to Little Rock. Okay, and is that like a heart failure, heart recovery hospital? Well, they have specialists they in have spe in the hospital. They have a CVICU. Um, amazing physicians. Uh, thankfully who, who for us, it, it's one of like maybe two or three hospitals in central carry. Arkansas that carry Impella and specialize in that sort of recovery, right? Or, or it would have been ECMO, which we don't yeah. know. What His surgeon kind of actually has been to Med and done some of the training too. We that's amazing. That. So that was really cool too. That's yeah. awesome. He actually went up to Danvers as well, did mm -hmm. some training up there. So you go in this ambulance ride. What happens? Um, are you pretty stable now at this point? Nothing's really happening. Yeah, thankfully, too. The second ambulance ride was way more calm, uh, albeit it was raining that day. So it was raining pretty was hard, raining. too, on the interstate. I just remember, like, just looking out there, at, you know, the puddles as they go by or the rain yeah. hitting glass, um, focused on breathing. And I knew that I had to stay calm that I, I couldn't last a 30 minute ride Yeah. that a five minute ride felt like a 30 minute ride. I couldn't last this. So I had to keep myself calm. 
Um, and, uh, I, you know, I guess I had enough experience from my first ride that uh, I, I could I think, past that. I think but, they gave you some medication, too. Based, yeah, on, based I, on what I saw, I definitely looked like I, I don't know. Um, yeah, you get to this new hospital, and what happens from there? From there, they get me rehooked back up with everything. Um, you know, they call the hospitalist and some other doctors in there to look at me. Um, and they can definitely tell that I'm not in good shape. And I think as time progressed, and we're talking maybe two to three hours at most here, yeah. as the minutes passed, I continued it, yeah. more and more downhill. Okay. Um, they and, said he and was showing more and more symptoms of heart failure and cardiogenic shock as the time and as the time progressed and the minutes passed. Um, you know, at, at the final point when all of the doctors were there, uh, they could very quickly tell. And, you know, after talking with them post-surgery and, and getting out of the hospital, they're like, yeah, you were in really bad shape. Gray, you were tossing. He, you know, Dr. Bauer, the thoracic surgeon, he was like, you're, you're the most like active cardiogenic shock patient I've ever seen because I was turning in the bed, you know, I was getting in the fetal position. I would lay flat and then I would do this and that. I would sit up and lean over the railing of the bed. I was just searching for comfortable that I couldn't find. And it felt like, uh, and I've said this so many times to everyone that I've talked to, that at this point is like the worst that I have ever felt and the worst that I felt through this whole process. But it felt like somebody was slowly sucking like life and energy out of me through a straw. Whoa. Did you feel like that like impending doom that people talk about? Did you feel like life is ending or anything like that? Well, you know, a More little bit, maybe. but I I don't know how, but I, I didn't let it get to me mentally. Yeah. I knew that that was there and that was an option. Yeah, I, I just couldn't accept it, I guess. And and I, uh, I, I focused on calm. I focused on, you know, trying to portray to the doctors what was happening, listening to what their thoughts were and how they were going to address it. And they so moved quickly too. So I mean, they did move they quickly they once everyone quickly. was there. Uh, they told me like, give us forty five minutes to get the OR prepped, and then mm -hmm. we'll have back there. So you're conscious. Like the whole time, really, you're not really conscious. conscious. Okay. I was on the phone with her, and unfortunate we we weren't Facetiming. We didn't never, think of that, but we were on the phone at that point. Like we did as soon as he woke up. That was the first thing I did is put him on Facetime. But like it just did not did not we come in. Like going through it, and that wasn't yeah. something we thought of. But we were on. I, I had my I phone laid like on the bed ear. with me with her so that she could hear the doctors because I couldn't talk. For her, I, I remember one time, like towards the the last like thirty minutes or so, I remember telling the nurse, like, guys, I can't breathe much longer. My diaphragm just exhausted because your heart like rates up, right? Your heart rates at like one forty to one fifty five, and um, it feels like you're running a race that you're not running. So then your diaphragm's working equally as fast, trying to keep the oxygen up. So you just get wore out and he was hungry he, he was, and I was hungry, hungry too. And he was like, yeah. if you're gonna have surgery, yeah, they won't let you eat anything <laughs> so we were like that's good that means you're gonna have surgery like just just be patient. Yeah. And yeah. but i mean his mom and i at this point were up in little rock also just in yeah. a hotel at that moment. we actually went to the hospital and i stayed outside of kind of like your husband did just stayed outside and prayed over the building as much as we could and mm -hmm. had friends call and pray our son prayed over the building like we just mm -hmm. what we could do at the time yeah so kind of put all of the um the effort energy and and faith in god and you put it in the the hospital staff the surgeons they're like they they've seen this before they know what they're doing mm -hmm. i can't do anything about it like there's oh, really? nothing i can do other than staying calm but i think that's kind of what it was is just like putting all the faith where the faith needed to be yeah um and and it and it worked out right yeah um you know dr bauer had mm -hmm. told me that he had um actually the patient had just left the hospital but 
a few months beforehand, there was a patient from Alabama that they had med flighted in because there was no hospitals in the area that could take him in apparently or something like that. Okay. And he had been on ECMO for the last like month to two yeah. months. I, really, I don't know really the young details, guy. Really young but guy. a young Marine uh, that had gotten COVID and they had had him on ECMO for a couple months wow. and he had just left the hospital. So they were sharing that story with me that, you know, it might be ECMO, but we're going to try to do some less invasive um, routes to that was the first time to they recover mentioned you, right? And I had no clue at this time, right? We're like uh, heart failure specialist at this point. We don't want to be, but we are because of what we've been through. But awesome. at the time, I had no clue what was going on with or wrong with me. And and so I just put all the faith in the guys that the, the ladies and gentlemen that knew what was going wrong, could fix it and, and always, you know, look to our Lord and Savior and thinking about our family and our kids and just trying to, you know, yep. like, like I'm going to fight through this and push through this for them. Right. Cause I'm going to be there for them. So yeah. that's kind of what we went through. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so scary. And so similar. So at any point, do they say to you, this is heart failure? No, no, they never uh, say that. not before surgery. Okay, yeah. so they're prepping you for surgery, but have they told you what the surgery is? Yes, yeah. but very little. And he told us that after he, too. Like he told he, us, he the, told bare us minimum, the bare minimum to get to get back there quicker. Back okay. there, and 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 me not, you know, freaking out or, or getting I don't, I don't totally stressed or anything. They they just wanted to share the bare minimum, and they knew what needed to happen because they knew what was wrong and what was going wrong. He did tell him like, you know, the ECMO and like potential, the right ventricle or le- okay. like that. He did yep. give that information. Now we, yeah. we, I mean, it was like a lot of words. Totally. Yeah. Like we don't know after, what that means. <laughs> after he yeah. went in, I did a lot of Google. Like I, that's the first time I had heard of Impella. And so that's, that's what we were like praying for was the Impella okay. because we knew what ECMO was at that point. So we, we definitely were praying for that, but he didn't know because yeah. I mean, they, they did, they worked very quickly. At that point, I've never seen anything work yeah, that quickly. You, you wake up with, you know, my my pump actually went in yeah, my rib cage over here, not in my shoulder. But up he here. needs a scar up there. Uh, so you wake up with that tube coming out of your side. You've got, you know, the swan coming up off your neck. He's got uh, drains on. Swan taped over my forehead. Which so you got the 5.5 five then right away. Yeah. And it went up through your chest area but it actually here. came down at the bottom I, I we've never seen or asked why that was. mine is like pretty far close to the armpit you know and then up a little bit closer to the collarbone like i have two so, so see, he has the go. top one but his other one goes down below like under his arm. more right here okay right. okay a little further down under your yeah. Yeah. yeah okay but i do have the scope scar just like you had there yeah um, yeah, so you wake up with all of that, oh, and then man. you have no clue, you know, what's going on. Uh, you're half with it because of all of the anesthesi- anesthesiology drugs and everything, and and you're alone. Thankfully, with like the best nursing staff, they were they absolutely were amazing. ever. Um, you amazing. Know, like three or four ladies that just like absolutely crushed it in my recovery process. Um, and one gentleman too overnights. Yes, I never. Um, yeah, I mean, you spend so much time with these people yeah. too, and that's something that you don't know until you're in the hospital. But the nurses are like everything; they become like, yeah. especially when you're in isolation. That's the only mm-hmm. people you're really talking to, and like having um, physical like conversations and interactions with. And so, yeah, yeah the they are a big part of my story too, and I still will always remember them and think so fondly of them a bright light in that time period but so at this point you do know you're in isolation do you know how long you'll be in isolation for yeah that was that though so then like in comes all the thoughts and questions that come up like what is this what's happened um what are those answers what is the uh, stay in the hospital look like? What does the recovery process look like? How long is this going to affect me? Like there's questions that we ask that we don't have answers to at this point, right? It's kind of wait and see. Um, His biggest, I feel like the biggest thing that he wanted when he woke up was to get up. Like mm. he just didn't want to lay there very long. Like that was, yeah. the, and then he, he's very goal oriented. So that was what he focused on a lot. 
Good job. To do that. That's yeah. amazing. Sometimes to get to that. Oh, you, you know yourself. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. you just like you lose every bit of strength and ability. Yep. Like it, it feels like in the snap of a finger when you go through uh, a cardiogenic shock, but then also just like laying in bed for like a full 20, like straight up 24 hours, like it drains your ability to do anything. So then by day three and four, when you've had three days of just laying in the bed, well, you have no leg muscles. You not able to get up out of that bed and sit in that chair like it's a it's a task now. it is work also yeah. he had the covid symptoms that were still there yeah. that, oh, like man. he got the heart stuff dealt with but then yeah. he had lung stuff to deal with yeah. after they finally got there oh my goodness i mean he had to chase off like he got up and got in a chair but then the next day he had to get lung drains mm-hmm. so then that made it hard to get over in that chair because that the the day before that was his birthday or the day after that was his birthday mm-hmm. so you know they his nurses decorated the room for us. We took stuff up so he they could decorate his room. Mm-hmm. And our kids came down because that had been, I can't even remember how many days that had been. And so they wanted to see him out the window because he could, at that point, wave out the window. And yeah. we got blessed with a hotel room that just happened to look right at his window. Incredible. Not planned. We we don't know how that happened. Other than God. Oh, amazing. At that, like- at that point, in the probably like days one, two, and three, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere in there, uh, I couldn't stand up yet. One, because, well, obviously my legs weren't back, but like, you've got like 5,000 devices connected oh, to all you. the it's cords like you're walking around like Frankenstein. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, but, and, and, you know, the, the lower section of the glass was frosted. Mm-hmm. So I had to like reach my hand way up high and I would wave like oh, this. Man. They could, they could see my hand above the frosted glass. And um, we talked about it, but Benny was two and he wasn't yeah. talking. Yeah. So he started saying, my dad, while like banging on that window, he was and just banging on the window. And we were just like, sitting, all of us were crying. He was, because oh, man. He wasn't talking. So for him to say something like that, and he's on the phone and I'm just like sitting there like, this is so hard. At that point, we had learned like, hey, we can FaceTime. Yeah, that, that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> uh, so FaceTime, I can see him like uh, excited to see my hand. Yeah. And he was so uh, excited. He could see my hand. So it, it was really cool. Because he, he was the only one like that he just didn't I mean he's two he didn't get it Lexi understood to a to a point she's she's like her dad she's very very literal so I mean she she felt she believed yeah understanding the situation so yeah you're gonna be okay so when you had your echo I'm curious did they tell you what your ejection fraction was that with that first echo so looking back on it they didn't while I was there but doctor yeah Dr. Bauer, he's actually shown us mm-hmm. videos of. Yeah, I have a video. It was the worst, and and you know there was no there was no like constriction. It was all just my heart was kind of rocking like this. Okay, and um, that's what they were seeing. They had told so us the ejection fraction was seven. under ten. They didn't put a. a he a said under seven, that, but under ten. He said under seven. Um, yeah. for that. One. So. Wow. Yeah, that was when I was still here in Conway at this, this hospital. Okay. So then you've got the Impella 5.5 in. You've now had to have um, like your lungs drained. You, do you have a chest tube? Yeah, on both know? sides. Yeah. Both so sides. I'm turning boxes around. And then he also has a heart drain vein. too. Yeah. And a heart drain. Okay. Wow. And so during, lot yeah, lots of fluid. Oh, man. So during this time period, then what are the doctors kind of giving you in regards to timeline and what they're looking for? I don't know that they ever really talked to you about it. They talked to us about it. Yeah. We kept asking. Okay. Because, uh, so I know with your husband, he had to be outside of a window. We, after a lot of pushing, there was an inside window, like, like right, like, like the doors to window. your room. So they let us yeah. sit there. And so we would go up and sit in that area. So we got a lot of background, like a lot of talking with a lot of people yeah. around us, all of that area. And they, cause his mom was kind of pushing like, Hey, I'm going to take some FMLA or some, some kind of work thing. And they're like, well, we can't do anything, but it has to be, she's like, well, will it be 21 days? And they just kind of were like, we can't say otherwise, but he has to be quarantined for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of, for us, it seemed like it was going to be more than a month. Yeah, it did not get to be a month. So that was, but we never really shared that with him. We just kept pushing for, let's just get to the next day and yeah. keep fighting That's symptoms. Really cool. I mean, we, we were, we were, it was like helping him through. He had a reaction to medication. So we helped him through that whole night of no sleep. And then we went to the next day and he was 
getting back to somewhat normal chest trains and then this. And so it just seemed like he, he just kept fighting. Then he got to walk when he was finally up to that point. And then it seemed like stuff was like changing and then he pain creeped back. In. I mean, it's just, it was a back and forth. I, always. I would say to answer the question, yeah. like the first two weeks in recovery were, it was really, really good across the board for everyone involved. We just took it day by day. Yeah. yeah. And, and nobody got ahead of themselves. Uh, it was, obviously in everyone's minds, what does this look like? Um, we knew that I had to have the pump in my heart for some time. Okay. And then, you know, I, I, I had it like Sunday through uh, the next Sunday. And, and oh, that Friday God. before that second Sunday, we had talked, we're probably going to pull your pump on Monday morning and just have that surgery to do it. And that's what happened. But that's really the only advanced outlook that we all had as a team um, that I'm aware of anyway. They were the, the hospital crew were, were certainly thinking of these things. Did they ever talk to you about a heart transplant? No. The, so um, Dr. Bauer's um, assistant, the only comment she made, it was in like our uh, probably like 20th day or maybe 15th to 20th day like, of recovery. Boy, yeah. Um, I, I was just talking to her like, man, this is so crazy that this happened to me. And she's like, well, you know, we're all so thankful that it's been positive because if it didn't work, you would have been at Vanderbilt looking for a heart transplant. Like that was the next thing. If okay. it didn't work, said anything but during. thankfully, right. It didn't have to go to that. So like that was the only line or, or the only thought or comment about a heart transplant was if the heart pumps wouldn't work, then that's where we would have to escalate to. Because they did talk about it didn't potentially go. needing two impellas. Like it was it, originally they were thinking he was going to need Left both and right. right. And so whenever they made the call after the surgery, they're like, we only needed one. Um, and we were able to use impella. So, so that was like yeah. answered for us. Right. Yeah. So how many days total did you have the five, five in? So eight days. Yeah, it was uh, Sunday, the ninth, or I guess actually technically the eighth, Saturday, the eighth, late in the evening is when it was put in and then it was removed Monday. I think that was like the 15th or 16th. Yeah, you saw the kids on the 16th. Um, they had removed it that morning. So they had done an echo then I'm assuming when you had the impella in and then saw that your heart was recovering. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yep they were able to turn it down too they they spent yeah they, before that they had been turning weekend. it down so friday we we had talked like hey we're gonna go have our weekend uh monday we're probably gonna have it removed but through the weekend we're gonna step you down on the strength at which the impella pushes the blood so hopefully we see that the pump goes down and your heart takes over the workload and then we kind of work in reverse direction so that monday your heart's got 100 percent of the load and the pump's got none. So then we can remove it, right? So, and that's exactly what happened, mm -hmm. thankfully. So, so then you go in for that surgery, have it removed. When you come out of that surgery, how was your recovery at that point? It was like having, it's just like having a second surgery, right? So there's a whole other recovery process completely unrelated to say your heart or anything like that. It's just that you went through that process and you went through the drugs to keep you under and everything. So you had to come back through it. But, um, I was more aware, obviously yeah. they used less yeah, drugs on the second surgery than the first, um, because I was, uh, out of it for, uh, almost 24 hours for sure. 18 hours. The first surgery, the second surgery, I was, I was aware as they were rolling me back to my bed, We actually got to I was, in um, obviously groggy and, you know, the typical, uh, coming out of surgery symptoms, but that evening, like I was back to it eating dinner. Um, and then it begins like, you know, your first recovery is recovery 1.0, which is like having the pump in your heart and getting your heart and starting to chase off COVID with all the antibiotics they were giving me. Mm -hmm. But then after the second surgery, when they removed, it was like recovery 2.0, where it's like, okay, your body is on its own. Uh, we yeah. need to get you active and not running. Yeah. We got to take baby steps, right? We need to be walking. Let's uh, get you out of the bed, get you into the chair every single day as much as you can. Um, and then let's start getting mobile. They um, also turned on the suction for the lung, the lung tube, what do you call this? Lung drain. Lung drain. 
And every time they turned that section on the left side, he was getting horrible reflux oh, yeah. pain in his shoulder. Yeah. And um, so, and and they wanted to keep it on 24-7, but there was a few times that he was like, please, please unplug that. When we finally got in there, it was constant for a few days. Yeah, I would have he referral was, pain in my traps up here. And it's just nerve. Uh, it's just like <clears throat> activated nerves with pain. And it's just constant. And it's so debilitating. Um, but it was, you know, on like a, a zero to 10 scale, like it's a constant, very, very constant seven. Is it like, like going to kill me? Does it feel like I'm no, losing a limb? No, but staying that uncomfortable for hours at the end is so, so debilitating and totally uh, hard to deal with. Um, that was the recovery too, um, uh, you know, recovery 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, but like the positive side is like, hey, I can be more mobile. I'm not like connected to... 3 million devices behind me. I just have an EKG and the cuff for the blood pressure and, and all, all the heart measurements the swan, on the wrist. But they moved it to the back. I have the swan. Uh, yeah, it's more <laughs> easy to move. Yeah. So at that point, you know, that was like the first time that I got up and walked and uh, went over to the nurse's window and was able to get closer to my wife no, and my mom. That was with it that in. Was the that's right. in. It was with it in. He got to. He got up with the lung drain. Like there's so, two nurses holding lung drains, yeah. holding this, and rolling the the pump over yeah. the window. I actually have a video of that. And we we didn't know this at the time, but it was the two nurses that like we found, like that we connected with the most. And neither of them were on that day. They they were filling in for someone else. It was just happened. So so I remember now. Like it was that we had like one additional day left of my ten day COVID quarantine window. So I had to go one more day of being by myself. But then that next day, my mom and Carly could come into the room. It's amazing. Finally get to embrace your wife. Um, and then that evening, we start walking actually the hallways is what we would do. And I would use like a nurse's chair and kind of like a, a, a walker. And I would use that to walk with. And if I needed a break, I could sit in the chair. So it was like perfect. Um, and then... Um, we stepped down into a room that's not CVICU so that um, I've got a little bit more freedom. I can walk more. It turned out um, to be the COVID wing also, which we found out because he he was yeah, on the opposite side of the curtain the, the other time. So I yeah. really didn't know that. Yeah. That's wow. the step down is when but, he finally got to see the kids. Exactly. So that was the highlight of the whole situation. Like um, in that step down stage, which was maybe three or four days there. Mm -hmm. Um, it was one. The kids, one the, they allowed the older two kids wear masks, come on in. They put us in like the family room so that we could hang out with them. I could embrace them, talk with them, share what happened with them, let them, them kind of instill the fact that like their dad's okay. Uh, and you can actually physically see that he's okay, right? I still had the lung drains in, but and I didn't have all the monitor. extra contraptions that like would scare kids away. Just had that. So that was how many days after your impella removal surgery? Oh, after the impella removal. Uh, so you got Probably moved on three days, three or four, even. Yeah. yeah. So three days later, then the kids come and yeah. see you. You're totally out of isolation and everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Originally, did they say to you your isolation was going to be 21 days? They. No. They had a very, 10 days. They, they. They. I think they said. 14 or 16 or something like that but they they were, were testing changed, him. I think. yeah it, they, we were right in the middle of that like changeover when they nobody were, really knew yeah it was, it was very much so then they're like we're just going to go by the, what the book says and then right now it's 10 so we're going to go 10 so uh, by the point that the kids come how many days have you now been in the hospital 16 16 16 okay and then how many more days another uh eight days was it i was in the like hospital 24 days oh, so i was thinking it was 21 days so eight more days and then you get discharged to go home. Yeah. And it was so the reason that it was longer was not because of my heart. It, it was, was because my lung, my left lung uh, would not fully drain. So we they just we had to stay no longer because those chest drains kept bringing fluid. Like we're going to keep you here until you stop dropping fluid. And I, I kept pushing fluid off. So and he had, I mean, you had your chest drain too during that time. You got rid of one lung drain, but you had your chest and the lung Left drain. Side. For, for until we got down to that second step down unit, which yeah. was just a room. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then when you're discharging, I'm curious, did they like give you any idea of what your recovery would be like? Did they have like PT come in? Did you end up having to do like cardiac rehab? What did that look like? They never required we, it. We, chose we asked to talk with somebody 
in physical therapy, just to wrap our mind around what had happened, what is the course of action to kind of get you back up under your legs. Yeah. Um, and it was helpful. Um, so they weren't going to send somebody in to like check you out. Well, because I mean, it wasn't, I was already walking the hallway. Yeah. 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 Like, what do you okay. need? That like, makes you're sense. already doing what yeah. we need you to do. Sure. Um, my thought was, okay, I play softball every spring, every fall. Like, how can I get my body back so that I can play softball this spring? Was where my mind was. I was even asking my cardiologist, like, is it cool if I play softball this fall or this spring? You never, we (laughs) asked one time and then he never, because he did play softball that spring. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He told them. Bobby. We went back in and I have videos. Abby Man actually has a picture of a poster that, uh, of him like swinging a bat because I had videos for one of his things that they posted. Like just a couple months, pretty much, or three months, maybe I mean, yeah, after. He was January, yeah. and he yeah. in like so. <laughs> so yeah, my situation was the up until uh, the end of January, like the twenty eighth, I think is when you no. discharged on what date? Yeah, I discharged. don't remember discharge very well date wise. I thought it was twenty one days. I mean, I could definitely it, it look. Probably back. was. I can look probably wrong in the twenty eighth. But but um, yeah. So we discharged in, in like late January. Yeah, go home, recovery, that whole process. And, and then Abby made calls like, hey, what do you think about sharing your story at our annual meeting? And I'm like, that's an awesome opportunity. I would love to. And that was in April. And then I remember like, I remember telling everyone there like, I'm going back home to start my first softball game <laughs> next week. Uh, he discharged so. on January 24th. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. And you got in there on January 8th. Okay. 8th to the 24th. Okay. And then you go home. So between your discharge date and then April starting softball, what does that physical recovery look like? I did. Uh, what would that be called? Like cardiogenic, cardiac rehab. rehab. I did that for like two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, walking on a treadmill, laps, Mm -hmm. monitoring your heart. Everything they were doing, we would do at home. Yeah. And it's, it's not so much that it's just, everything that I was already doing at home, but now it's monitored, right? We're monitoring your heart Mm -hmm. to make sure that there's no elevations plus or minus in any bad direction, right? Um, So I did that for a couple of weeks. Um, And and like- I know, I I felt similarly to you. Like, I I, I don't need this. Like I I can comfortably walk wherever I want. He had a couple weeks where it was hard, like right after he came home, but not- by the time he got into the cardiac rehab, he had already dealt with that. So it wasn't, right. it wasn't something he felt he needed at that time. It, you know, we've seen people use it that didn't go through cardiogenic shock that aren't your age that have done great with it. Absolutely. I think it just is not set up for people our age going through what we went through. I really That's don't think thing. it is. Yeah. If, yeah. if you go into cardiac rehab or if you go into a cardiologist, a sp- specifically like a heart failure cardiologist, Mm-hmm. Like you look, at you were the outlier immediately uh, if you walk in there, yeah. right, from an age perspective. For sure. Um, so I knew I needed to be active and and get my legs back under me and everything like that. But I, I, was, I knew I was doing it, and I knew yeah, that I didn't have any problems with my heart. We, we were monitoring our my heart uh, pretty regularly. Um, so yeah, that's what kind of the recovery process looked like, and I went through the spring. Uh, softball season I was very very he felt good. subtle and gentle out of the gate then by the end of the season like no I'm good like I, you know, I, I was more concerned honestly which is crazy to think I didn't I came away from this situation like not worried about my heart For that first and year. what it was I was more worried like am I going to lose some velocity out of my shoulder from having scar tissue <laughs> yeah so yeah. that's what I was more concerned about and like no, I can still hum it and same velocity and everything. I play yeah, outfield, he, so I'm always still through throwing it long distance and everything. Amazing. Um, That's incredible. He felt good this year. I did. Yeah. He felt good. He felt good sharing his story. He felt good I did. Uh, right. talking with people in Abbey Med and just other people in general. That's awesome. How do you feel like your recovery has been like both just everything physically, emotionally, all of it? How do you? Where you Physically, at? just fine. I, I feel completely normal. Emotionally. I'm back to myself. But this whole process definitely, definitely 
if it, it for me it messes with your head mm -hmm. um ptsd is so much a real thing mm -hmm. and um you know if you get a covid uh bout again and you have symptoms again just because they're similar symptoms it doesn't mean that they're the same symptoms that are going to spiral into an acute myocarditis situation COVID, but when you're in it when you're in the middle of that mm -hmm. and you have those symptoms you don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. um so then it's like just a race to get answers and get an echo is my heart functioning normally yeah because again like i was laying in a hospital bed i was not feeling well but i was also sick with covid you know so there's fear in my mind that even if I feel well, maybe my heart is spiraling out of control and we know it. how quick these things can turn. Yeah. I think your brain takes you to the only thing your brain knew with those symptoms, yeah. yep. you know, mm -hmm. like the last thing was it was bad. Mm -hmm. So, so then that PTSD is so real and you feel like this is, is this happening again? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Sure. That's super scary. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So emotionally, like, did you guys end up doing any sort of counseling or feel like, um, you're still processing or where do you feel like Definitely you're at? still processing okay. and going through that process? And, you know, uh, yes, we have started talking, um, with therapists that, that can help with PTSD and traumatic situations. Um, but what I would say is my first year and a half of recovery, I was back to my like bulletproof and confident in my body and its ability to fight off any illnesses and everything like that. I was, I was, I was back. I was normal. But in the last six months since having that, like it has allowed all of those flashbacks and those thoughts and experiences to kind of resurface and, um, instill fear and um yeah, really just fear it's a process for um, yeah, for sure. yeah oh yeah yeah and it's going to be different for yeah. everyone yeah um, and it's going to be based on what you experience and what you deal with and in a day-to-day week-to-week month-to-month perspective but uh and it's going to be different for for everybody but and it's probably going to hit people at different times it Definitely. may hit people more uh, at the front end coming out of the hospital where it didn't for me, no, it did not like it, it, you almost wouldn't think other than me just share, sharing my story positively, like in a light, um, that nothing ever happened to me. Whereas now, if you ask me, it, it hits a little harder for me personally, emotionally. Um, I kind of like, I hate it, but I like kind of like stress over sharing my story now, because I just want that phase and, and mm. that experience to be behind me and never happen again and me to never think about it again. But I know that that's not possible. And I'm working through that personally. Um, because the first year, all he wanted to do was share it and make yeah, sure that someone else yeah, heard it. Right. Like that was, that was the big you, thing he woke up wanting to do. Like, I want this to be recreated for someone else. Someone else needs to know about this. Someone else needs to be able to not have to, you know, if I can tell them this was my symptom, maybe they will go in a little sooner yeah. or see that it's more. Yeah. I mean, it's first off, like just, just like with you, like our, our goal was to share our story so that it, it never happens in a negative way. Like nobody ever loses their life over something like this because there are ways to combat it and prevent it, prevent death from happening. So, um, that was that was what was driving and fueling my energy and my excitement around sharing my story. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I'm so glad that you shared your story and I'm grateful for hearing your story. You sharing your story, and this is one of the things that I've learned and why I became passionate passionate about sharing my story was I think when I got out of the hospital, I just started Googling, YouTubing, like everything, trying to find somebody else who had been through what I had been through. I wasn't starting to think about sharing my story for other people to not go through it, you know, or to like get to the hospital sooner or anything. I wasn't there yet, but I was just trying to see if anybody else had experienced it. Like, yeah. has anybody else my age gone through this before? Like, what is this? Because when you go through it, you feel like, 
oh, this is incredibly rare and doesn't happen to people your age and else. And then you go through it and come out of it. And now I've, well, I've met you and I've met so many other people who it has happened to. And then it starts to feel like, yes, it is rare, but also there are a lot of you, you know? And so I wanted to meet those people to have those people to relate to. And then I wanted somebody else down the road who goes through it to be able to look up online and find me and find that I've been through what they've been through. And that was like my goal in sharing. But so I'm so glad that you did share because that allowed us to meet each other. And you were the first person that I talked to um, and was able to connect with through Abby Ahmed um, just to hear that you had experienced what I had experienced, which is like oddly comforting, mm -hmm. you know, Absolutely. like I would never wish it upon you, you know, or anybody else, but I'm so grateful for you. And I'm so grateful for your life and that you're here today and that you shared your story with me. So it's really amazing. And I'm just really grateful. So piggyback on that, like Abby Ahmed connecting, uh, you and I, all of the patients that you and I know, uh, is, is so heartwarming. You said it, you nailed it on the head. Like I wouldn't wish this upon anybody, but it's so nice to have others that have walked through it and are still dealing with the, um, experience of dealing with it. The recovery, yeah. um, the recovery process and, and the, the mental side of it and everything like that. Like it, it's so nice not to be on an Island of your own. Absolutely. Uh, we're kind of a team of acute myocarditis patients now uh, that have the experiences for, you know, future situations of folks uh, that may have to, to deal with it um, or people that have already dealt with it that are trying to cope and, and need to be a sounding board or uh, hear our, our stories so that, um, I mean, like the day that you and I first met and had our conversations, I remember walking away with Carly and I was like, oh my gosh, her story is like so, so similar to mine. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and it is. And, it, and just like you said, it's like, I hate that it happened to either one of us, mm -hmm. but it's so heartwarming that we have each other to bounce our experiences off of. And we're not on that island of our own, that it only happened to to Bobby Goins and, and sorry, we have no answers for you other than it happened. Like we know, um, because of our experiences. So. And I think the uniqueness that I'm finding too, with our story is that because it was COVID and COVID was new, um, we were both in isolation and now most people don't go through isolation anymore, or it's a different virus and it's not COVID. Um, but your official diagnosis was acute viral myocarditis. Is that right? That's yeah. Right. Okay. And before you went through this, had you, if you're comfortable sharing, had you gotten the vaccine? Yeah. So I had been vaccinated this summer before. So around six to seven months before uh, the holiday season when I was exposed. Yeah. And this is, I remember when we talked about this, cause I knew that cause you and I talked about it when I got out of the hospital, it was so hard because I had not been vaccinated and I felt like it was like this dark cloud over my case and over my story and felt like a lot of judgment um, or a little bit of judgment, I should say, while in the hospital. And some of it maybe is self-imposed. I was just assuming that people thought like, oh, had she been vaccinated, this wouldn't have happened. And sadly, I did have somebody in the hospital like make a comment to me about that, which was hard. Um, but I think it's so helpful and so important for people to hear both of our stories because I've shied away from sharing that part of my story with people publicly and especially on social media because, well, one, people can be so terrible about it and it's so divisive, but mostly because after I met you and heard that you had gotten the vaccine and it had happened to you um, and our stories were so like nearly identical, I felt like, well, I don't want to say it was because I didn't get the vaccine because now I know somebody who got the vaccine and it still happened to them. And then additionally, I continued to meet more people who ended up going through it or ended up having it worse than me, but it was from a different virus completely, or they don't even know what virus it was. And they ended up needing a heart transplant. So thank you for sharing that because I think it's important for like the podcast audience to hear that and to just hear both sides of that, um, that topic. But 
Thank you guys so much for sharing and for opening up. And I do know that it can be emotional to go back through that and dredge through that and answer all of the questions. But I just thank you guys so much for being here and for sharing. And I hope I get to see you guys again at Abbey event or something. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely make it happen. Thanks so much for setting this up and, and leading this charge and doing all the work that you're doing. Uh, sharing your story, yeah. uh, sharing mine, and, and kind of spreading the message that if this happens, uh, there's there's ways um, to to save your life, to keep your life, to keep your loved ones, and keep moving forward. And I'm so blessed that that you're leading this charge. And uh, thanks, thank Bobby. Yeah, it's awesome. Do you have advice to somebody who? maybe has COVID or another virus and starts feeling like that shortness of breath or the numbness. Right. Um, uh, it's so important. I, I, I hinted at it early on. Like I didn't have a PCP. Um, I didn't go to a doctor for mm-hmm. COVID until it was honestly too late. Um, so it's really important uh, to, to have a good connection with your PCP. Um, I, I would also on the flip side, right? These don't, don't scare yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, if somebody's listening to this podcast, don't scare yourself into thinking this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. It's so extremely rare. The odds of it happening to you or I again mm-hmm. are so slim. Uh, the, the odds of it happening to anybody are so slim. Um, to this but extent. you need to be aware of what's happening in your body. Listen to your body. Uh, something that I was doing, but I didn't take action on what was happening to my body. So listen and, and take action and have a good connection with health providers. Um, that that's kind of what I would echo because that's, that's really, really important. Um, you know, as, as you and I were in our thirties and we've never, had these problems. And and as we get older, they're only going to start accumulating and multiplying in different directions, just with age, right? So it's important to uh, start young to be connected with uh, a primary care physician. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for sharing your story. And I think both of us, I can speak for both of us in saying, we just hope that people who hear this, um, now understand a little bit more about acute viral myocarditis and that it can happen to people who are young and healthy and um, also what the symptoms may look like for you. And and in addition to that, we're both very grateful for Impella's and heart recovery because both of them played a huge role in saving not just our lives, but our hearts, right? That we didn't end up needing to get heart transplants. So thank you again, Bobby and Carly for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having us. And just one quick shout out. I mean, it goes unsaid, but Abby Med, you, you said it there. Like, it's so important to thank them, their entire organization. The way they do. Um, yeah, we're and, not and, paid or sponsored to see no, any of all. this. We <laughs> both genuinely all, like, love Abby Med. And then also, and we've we've mentioned it a number of times, the nursing and hospital staff Absolutely. that cared for us and, and took care of us. It's so important. While their families were sick too. Like yeah, they yeah, did that. Yeah. And and you know it's important for both of us to stay connected with them um so that they can see us living our our lives yeah. and and it's because of their support through the process. So yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Really enjoyed this and look forward to listening into the podcast uh, as you interview uh, others as well. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Thanks, you guys.